we are starting this brand new series called Core Christianity. This, by the way, is some of the earliest Christian art that we have. It's a mosaic. Uh, so just in case you're wondering what that is, you can Google it. Or maybe if you're a church historian and you've seen this picture before, uh, that's not just a graphic that we invented. Some of the earliest Christian art that exists. But we're in a new series talking about what is it that Christians believe? What is it that Christians believe and how does that shape our life? What do we believe and how does it shape our life? And we're looking at core historic Christian doctrines that people have believed for thousands of years. We're not, we're not looking at just the things that are distinctive to our church and distinctive to uh, our time, but we're looking at things that the church really has believed for its existence. And we are asking, what is it that Christians believe and how does it shape our lives? And, and here's why we're doing this. Some of you are not Christians. You're exploring Christianity. Maybe somebody invited you. You are exploring the faith. Maybe even some of you are watching online. You weren't sure to come today and you're just kind of exploring Christianity. And we want to help you see what Christianity is and why it is that it's captured the hearts of billions of people throughout the world. Why it is that this small little thing that started in the Middle East blew up to be a world religion and has influenced culture more than anything else has. Why is it? What is it about Christianity? We want, want to help you see that. And then also, many of you are Christians. You need to know this. Your beliefs will shape your life. Your beliefs, whatever it is that you believe, and that's true with Christianity and the Bible, but that's also just true in general. What you believe will shape your life for good and for bad. What you believe will shape your life. It'll create change in your life. It'll influence and affect your relationships and your emotions and your choices and decisions. What you believe will ultimately shape your life. It'll help you decide things and help you know good and right and wrong and and your vision and, 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 and where you're going, what you believe will shape your life. And here is something that's interesting if you're a Christian. Many Christians, even though that's true, your beliefs will shape your life, don't actually hold to Christian beliefs, even though they say, I'm a Christian. This is a, a study that was done. I won't walk you through every single piece of this. But this is just looking at people that self-identify as Christians. And I don't, they use all these different terms, just Christian, born-again Christian, evangelical Christian, born-again, integrated disciple. What, they just use these different terms where people self-identify which of them they are. I know that's kind of confusing, but this is what so, sociologists do. They're, they're confusing people, okay? But they ask all these questions. And I'll just look at uh, born-again, or I'll just look at evangelical Christian, okay? So the Bible is accurate, reliable word of God. 58% say they agree with that. Determining moral truth is up to each individual. There's no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. 65% say they believe that. God is the all, this one should be pretty basic. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, just creator of the universe who rules the universe today. 69% agree with that. So anyway, I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but these are kind of just some basic Christian beliefs that people that say, again, this isn't just... If you're not a Christian, you're like, yeah, I don't believe those things, or I'm not sure. Okay, fine. But just people that say, I am a Christian. In fact, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm an evangelical Christian, whatever. That still, many of those beliefs are very, very different than what historic Christianity is. Very, very different. 
Um, and through this study, here is what they determined, the sociologists, that the amount of Christians that hold a biblical worldview is 6%, and then all these other worldviews, Eastern mysticism, Marxism, whatever, okay? But the, the dominant worldview is syncretism, 88%, meaning a little bit of this, a little bit of that, I kind of believe this, I kind of believe that, I kind of believe this, but not something that has been the historic beliefs of the church for couple thousand years. It's not that. It's just I'm blending things together that I like. So you, many of you, are Christians. And yet, if you are something like the rest of Americans, and I know you, you don't think you are. You're a unique snowflake, right? But if, you, if you're anything like what the statistics say, there's a lot of our beliefs that are actually not what core Christianity is. And so we need help to go, what does the Bible actually teach then? What is Christianity? I'm saying I'm a Christian. What is Christianity? So where are we going to start? We're going to be walking through, over the next couple months, several of the main Christian doctrines, really what core Christianity is. But where do we start? Today we're going to start with the Bible. What is the Bible? What do Christians believe about the Bible? And here's one of the reasons that we're going to do that. This is another study that every year is put, put out by a ministry called Ligonier, and it's called the State of Theology. And this is just goes, this will show you from 2016 to 2022. This is just one of the statements. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. And over the years, the numbers have gone from 17% agreeing the Bible's not literally true to 26%. And this is, again, people that are evangelical Christians. A growing percentage of people saying, the Bible's not really true. Might have some nice little myths, sort of like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or something, but it's not really true. Growing percentage, almost by 10 percentage points over the last seven years would say that. But here's the thing. We need some foundation for our beliefs. All of us need some foundation for our beliefs. Some foundation for the questions of where did we come from and what's our purpose and what's wrong with the world and what are we supposed to be doing right now? What can fix things and where are we going? What's the purpose? What's the meaning? What's the goal? We, we all need some foundation for understanding and answering those kinds of questions. And we'll get it from somewhere. All of us are answering those questions and living those questions out whether consciously or unconsciously, we are living in some story and it'll come from somewhere. It might come from just what your parents taught you. It might come from the culture around you and what's popular. It might come from movies and music and literature. It might come from what your friends say. It might come from some kind of religious beliefs, but it will come from somewhere. Those answers to those questions, how you live your life, how you decide what's good and right and wrong, and it'll come from somewhere. And the truth is, like the studies say, most of us live in some kind of contradiction. So we say, well, I'm answering what's wrong with the world this way. I'm answering what the goal of life is this way. This kind of comes from my family. This might come from the Bible. This might come from just my own intuition and what I think and what I feel. And we just kind of put it together in some way. But it will come from somewhere. Some foundation will determine your life, your work, your marriage, your 
your emotions, your pursuit of happiness, how you handle suffering, how you handle guilt, and how you handle what you're choosing and discerning between, what happiness is defined as, some foundation will determine that for you. And Christians have always said, and what Christians believe, is that this is the basis for our story, for our foundation of life, for our vision of what is good and what is beautiful and what is right, what is true. Christians have said this is the foundation. Some, we're all choosing some foundation. Christians have said this is the foundation. Why? And what is this book? And why is it a better foundation than the other things that we can pursue and find? That's what we're going to explore together today. And there are really four different things that theologians, systematic theologians, kind of often, this isn't from one person, but anytime you read a systematic theology book, which is I know what most of you were doing probably yesterday, uh, what, anytime you do that, there's kind of four characteristics that people will use to describe the Bible. And so we're just going to go through those and look at those. The first one is this, authority. Authority, which is in some ways answering the question, why should I, why should I listen to this? Why should I choose this as the basis of my life? Why should I choose this as the foundation for my life? Why should I choose this to decide the story that I want to be a part of and the vision of, of truth and beauty? Why? That's a good question to ask. And implicit in that is, is it true? And here's what the Bible says about itself. It says that it's from God. All scripture is inspired by God, or literally this word, and some of your translations might say this, is breathed out by God, that it comes from God's mouth. All scripture is inspired, it's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible says about itself that it is breathed out, that it's from God. Another place in the Bible that says this, above all, you know this, no prophecy of scriptures, and much of the Old Testament would be considered as prophecy, no prophecy of scriptures comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We've preached through a lot of different books in the Bible, Haggai and Zephaniah and Habakkuk, we just went through recently. Daniel, and all of these would be considered prophets. And he is saying, none of this was just their own thing. They spoke from God. Jesus says this. He also said to them, he's answering a question that people are asking them, asking him. And he says, he also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, now, this is going to be in the book of Exodus. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corbin. Listen, there's a bunch of stuff in here I'm not going to explain. What I want you to see is this. He is talking about something that Moses said in the book of Exodus, and he calls it God's command. And then, again, that is an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God. That's the book of Exodus with Moses speaking. But Jesus says, this is the command of God. Jesus says, this is the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. 
and you do many other similar things. Jesus is saying, this is, you're, you're not obeying the word of God, the command of God, but he's talking about something that Moses spoke in the book of Exodus. So Jesus's view, and I could give you many, many more examples, of course, but Jesus's view of the Bible is it is the word of God. It is the command of God. It is breathed out by God. That is what Jesus believed. So when we come to the Bible, the first place of just why should I listen to this? Why should I base my life on this? Is it true? The Bible claims for itself that it is from God. Here's why this is essential to start here. Because if it's not, you can take it or leave it. If it's not from God, then some of it might be good. And some of it, you might say, I'm not really interested in that. I'm kind of a list junkie. Some of you know this, that if there's something that says top 10 you know, pizzas in Denver, I really want to visit all those places. If something says top 10, so if you want to control me, that's the way to control me. Say, hey, there's a list that said top 10 whatever. And I'm like, I have to do that. It's, those are my commandments. I feel like I have to follow a list. But I have some exceptions. If something says top 25 restaurants in Denver and a couple of them are vegetarian, I skip those ones. And no offense, but I don't feel the need that I have to go to those ones. Same thing with movies. I'm kind of a movie junkie. But if any of those movies on there on the top lists are, and again, I'm not trying to offend anybody, are based on the works of Jane Austen, I skip them. So if it's like Pride and Prejudice or Emma or any of that, I just go, I know I've watched and I'm not interested. I know it'll be a waste of my time. And and humanity's time, and so I'm not interested in those things, okay? So I'm trying to offend some of you, and it's working, but that's vegetarians and Jane Austen people. You can fight, okay? I skip them because it's not from God. So it might be this is valuable. It might be this is wise. It might be this is helpful, but I don't have to say this is from God. Now, if we view the Bible as it's not from God, then what it means is you'll look at some of the things and go, I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like this. I'm going to do this. I'm definitely not going to do that. Because if it's not from God, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter. But the Bible says it's from God. That's its own claim about itself. And if that's true, if that's true, then it has authority. C.S. Lewis uh, has a famous thing that he says about Jesus where he says either Jesus was a liar, he was a lunatic, he was just kind of a crazy person making all these weird claims, or maybe he just was who he said he was. He was Lord, liar, lunatic, or Lord. And I think the same thing we could do with the Bible. Either this book is filled with lies. It's just a big, like you shouldn't believe it at all. Just, it's just lies. Or it's lunacy. It's crazy. People might have believed it, but they were tripping. They were on some crazy Hebrew mushrooms, right? It was like, this is not, they're just crazy. Or maybe it's from the Lord. Maybe it's actually from God. And those are really our only choices. You can't, you can't pick parts of those things. The Bible says it's from God. And Jesus says it's from God, by the way. We already looked at that. But for some of you, if you're like, well, I'm interested in following Jesus, but I don't know about the Bible. And I, Jesus lived his whole life saying, thus says the word of the Lord, or this is what, this is God's word. You can't go against God's word and helping people understand you're, you're not actually being true to God's word. 
Jesus lived and breathed saying, this is God's word. Jesus said things like, the scriptures cannot be broken. Not a jot or tittle will go away from God's word. Jesus said, this is God's word. So if you're interested in Jesus, he believed this was God's word. Now here's a big question then. How do you know it's God's word? The Bible might claim that, but how do we know that? Isn't it full of errors? Isn't it full of contradictions? Isn't it just really old? I think that's kind of a lot of our complaints. It's like, it's just old. We don't like old things. We need something new. Isn't it just handed down over time and changed? And, and those are good questions that I'm not going to answer today because you won't stay here for three hours. But all of those questions have been answered, and there's great resources around that, that if that's something that you struggle with, I'd be happy to share with you and help you gain a deeper confidence in this being reliable. But I'll just give you two things. The first is this. If that's something you're interested in exploring or wrestle with, start with the New Testament. And when you read the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the stories about Jesus' life, you will see they don't read like a fantasy book. They read like people that are eyewitnesses writing something down that actually happened. They don't read like some fantastical tale of once upon a time. They read, and this is what they are, like eyewitnesses sharing, here's what happened. And then this happened. This took place in the year of this thing with Julius Caesar. And this took place, and Pilate did this. And at this time, there was a, I mean, they take place rooted in history. The second thing that I have found helpful and some of you may find this helpful. Some of you may go, ah, I need something more scientific than that. But there's a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith, which came out in the, or kind of mid-1600s as a part of the Protestant Reformation. It's one of the best kind of codification of here is what the church believes. And it says this, how doth it appear that the scriptures are the word of God? And it says the scriptures manifest themselves to be the word of God by their majesty and purity, by the consent of all the parts and the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God. Saying part of how you know it's the word of God is by its beauty. When you look at it, you see something beautiful that compels your heart. And then by their light and power to convince and convert sinners, to comfort and build up believers unto salvation. But the spirit of God bearing witness by and with the scriptures in the heart of man is alone able fully to persuade it that they are the very word of God. Also by its power. If you take this book into your life, it has a power more than anything to bring comfort to your life, to bring change to your work and your marriage and your emotional health. There's a power that this has to change you that nothing else has. And yet it still ends by saying, really at the end of the day, you can have all the scientific proofs and evidences and and see the fruit of change, but it takes the Holy Spirit to open up your eyes and say, yes, inside you know this is God's word. So here's what this means. It means that when you're trying, if it, if it is authoritative, if it has authority, when you are trying to decide life, when you're trying to decide life, when you're trying to figure out what to do in life and what's good and what's wrong and what will bring happiness, and how to handle certain things. If you're trying to decide life, here's what we shouldn't do. I'm just going to be true to myself. Here's what we shouldn't do. 
say, well, yeah, you say this and I say this, but who, who says who? Like, who's really to say? What we shouldn't do is say, well, I believe in a God that fill in the blank. I believe in a God that would let me do this. I believe in a God that, and then just kind of fill in how we want it to be. That's what we shouldn't do. What we should do is say, okay, if this is authoritative, if this, one of its properties is it has authority because it's from God, we should say, what does God say? If this is from God and Jesus thought it was from God and it claims it's from God and you're a Christian saying, this is my book. I love uh, in, when, the, when, in the, when Islam was really starting to grow, what they called Christians was the people of the book. Now, that's a great name. That's like, yes, thank you. Then that is who we should be, the people of the book. What it means is we say, what does God say? It means that God is the author, which means he has the authority. We don't get to just say, well, you know, I don't, have any, I don't know if you've seen, uh, this is just a movie that came to my mind. It's not a Jane Austen movie. If you've seen uh, Top Gun, the, the new one, right? You don't get to just say, like, you know, well, to me, Maverick really is a, uh, he's kind of really obedient to people and he follows all the rules. And, and, and to me, the message of Top Gun is we should really just do everything that we're told to do. That's what it means to me. You don't get to just create your own interpretation. There's an author that wrote the script. There's a director that presented the movie and he lays out, here's what it means. And you can like it or not like it, but you don't get to decide what it is. So for Christians, if the Bible has authority, it means this. We bring all of our life to God. We bring all of our life to God, all of our choices to God, all of our hopes to God, all of our problems to God. And we say, what do you say? That's what it means. What do you say? So I don't, what decisions are you facing in your life? What, what issues are you facing in your life? Where are you trying to decide? What, where are you, what, what defines how you make your choices? The Bible says God has authority, so bring it to him. Now, here's what this actually does. This gives us a lot of freedom. It might not feel like it gives freedom, but it actually gives you a lot of freedom because it gives you freedom from just your own feelings. What do I want to do? What do I think? And it actually gives a freedom to say, I'm listening to what God says. It also gives you freedom from pressure around you, from what other people say and from what the popular opinion is and what these people say I have. It actually says, no, I don't actually have to listen to you, not because I'm a sociopath, but because I say, I, I already have an authority in my life. It actually gives a lot of freedom to be able to say, I have something more reliable than just the trend of the day. I have something more wise than just the, the pop psychology of the day. I have something more enduring and something more lasting that I'm able to root myself in that gives you a greater confidence than just, I don't know, should I believe that? What do people think? Should I believe that? Have I read all the polls? Have I read enough data? What should I believe? It gives you a deeper confidence to say, I'm standing on something ancient that is from God. God is perfectly good, perfectly wise, perfectly loving, perfectly powerful, and he speaks to you. He speaks to you, and he gives you his word. It's authoritative, and we can stand on that in a freeing way. That's the first piece. The second attribute of Scripture and why it's a better foundation than other things is its 
clarity. And that might strike you because sometimes we go, man, I, I struggle to understand the Bible. And most of us, if you've ever read the Bible, you've probably come to something that you've said, I don't know what that means. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Have you ever felt that the Bible's confusing? And yet the Bible claims for itself that one of its properties and one of the reasons it's a great foundation to stand on is that it is clear. It has clarity. It's not a book that was written for scholars. It's a book that was written for people. Here's a few verses that help see this. In Deuteronomy, it says, These words, the scripture being written, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. So it's something that should be able to be taught to kids. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. It should be a basic, everyday, conversational part of life. It's not something that he says, These words that I'm giving you, study them in the academy. He says, these are things to teach your kids. These are normal, everyday things that you can talk about. Psalm 19, 7 says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. It's not that you need to be wise to understand the Bible. Dumb people can come to the Bible and then grow and be wise, is what it claims. In Galatians 1, I won't read this whole thing, but just many of the letters, this is just one I picked out, it, they are addressed to the churches of Galatia, meaning to all of these people, not to this particular, to the PhDs in Galatia or to the smart people in Galatia, but to the church in Galatia. That would be to the people in Arvada, to the people in Broomfield, to the people in Thornton, to the people in Denver. It's written to everybody, not to a particular group of people. It is clear it's written in such a way that it is to be understood. Now, here's what this means. If you've ever come to the Bible and you haven't understood, you've come to the Bible and you're like, ah, it doesn't make sense. There can be a few different reasons for that. But it's not the Bible's fault. It's your fault. And I don't mean that in a mean way. It just might be that maybe you haven't really taken the time to understand. Maybe you're trying to read something really quick and it doesn't make sense. Maybe... And the, Jesus uh, confronted the Pharisees about this. Maybe your heart is closed. So it's hard to understand. Sometimes things are hard to understand, not because the book is closed, but because our hearts are closed. That if we come to the Bible, but we're like, I don't really want to believe that, then we go, yeah, it's really hard to understand. It's like, it's not hard to understand. You just don't want to understand. Sometimes that's what's happening. So there's a lot of different reasons that we might go, ah, maybe, maybe it's just that, like I said, we haven't taken the time to say, okay, I'm going to actually give adequate time. But it's not because the Bible itself is unclear. And yet, let me also say this. When, when we say that the Bible is clear, clear on what? Is it clear on here's how you change a tire? Is it clear on here is the person that you should marry? Is it clear on all the different questions that you have about life? Any question? Where, how many dinosaurs were on Noah's Ark? How many, like, is it clear on every question that you could ever try to think about? Is it clear on, I, I remember that this was uh, maybe a couple decades ago that it was very popular, this thing called the Bible Code. And it was a movie kind of in weird Christian circles that came out that supposedly there's all these different things that point to all these different, and you can kind of figure out everything that's going to happen. Is it clear like that? Is it clear like, no, 
That's not what it's clear on. It's clear on what its main point is and what the whole point of the Bible is. Let me just show you again from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. The things that are necessary for salvation, the things that are necessary for faith and life with God. Or here's even what Jesus says. This is him talking to the disciples after he raises from the dead and says, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, that was just kind of their shorthand for the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus, nowhere as a you know, human in that name, uh, as Jesus of Nazareth, shows up in the Old Testament. But he says, all of it's actually about me. The Psalms, the prophets, all of it is pointing to me. It's all about me. And that's true in the Old Testament, true in the New Testament as it unfolds and explains but what this is saying is it's clear about the salvation that we have in him. That's what the Bible is clear on. It doesn't mean it's not clear on anything else. But like the confession says, it's not clear on everything in the exact same way. But if you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know what God is doing in this world, his salvation and what it means to relate to him, the Bible is clear on those things. You don't have to be confused on those things. Which means this, by the way. God's not holding out on you. It's not just something that the people that have gone to seminary can understand. It's not something that just the scholars that devote hours and hours and hours can understand. It's not just something for an elite group of people as some religions and people will claim. It's not that. The Bible is for you and it's clear. God has made it in such a way that you can know him just as well as someone more educated and more experienced than you can that you can understand salvation just as well as anybody can. God's not holding out on you. It's available to you. He's made his word clear for you, for your children, for daily conversation. Third is that it has sufficiency. So it has authority, it has clarity, and it has sufficiency. This, this is answering this question. Is the Bible enough or do I need more? Is it a good book just to kind of say, all right, here's a little bit about who God is, and all right. Or is it enough for my life as you're trying to figure out life, as you're trying to figure out what it means to live in this world and face different things? Is it enough? Is this really enough for me? Has God really given me enough, or do I need to search elsewhere? Oftentimes, we are looking for wisdom. You probably have various decisions that you're trying to discern, various things that you're trying to figure out. What do I do? What will bring me happiness? How do I face this? What's the best way to handle this thing? Maybe even insight into yourself. Who am I? Why do I do this? Why am I like this? And we try a lot of different things to get wisdom. And I'm not saying all these are bad, but we try different things to get wisdom. We try coaches and counselors and certain blogs and resources and people we follow on Instagram and people we follow here and 
different books and all sorts of things that we try to help us in the areas that we need. We're looking for some help. And let me say this. Sometimes it's even to God. Maybe if you're a Christian, you've said something like this. God, I just need you to speak to me. God, I don't know what to do. I just need you to speak to me. Maybe you've wanted some kind of voice or some kind of dream or some kind of impression or some kind of sign that will help you. But the Bible claims that it is sufficient. It is what you need. The Bible claims it is what you need for all those things. It says this. We already looked at this, so I won't read the whole thing. But all scripture is from God, and it is enough to equip you for every good work. If you need to be taught, rebuked, corrected, trained in righteousness, if you want to be equipped for every good work, so just think about all the different things. That, Man, how do I do this well? I, I need help in this thing. I want to work on my marriage, work on my parenting, work on my friendships, conflict. I, want all, I need to be taught on this. I need, how do I change? It's enough to equip you for every good work. Or Psalm 119, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. You want to have happiness? That's one of our big goals in life, right? And so many things filter under that. I want to be happy. It says the way is actually to know and walk in the Lord's instruction. Or your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Do you want to know which way to go? You're, you're not sure what to do and which way to go and what the best course of action is. God's word is the lamp that directs us. God's word is the light that helps us see in dark places. It is sufficient, which means this. Nothing is equal to God's word. Nothing is equal to God's word. There might be other sources that might help us or offer something that might be beneficial, or, but nothing is equal to God's word. Nothing is on the same level because it's not from God. Which also means this, we must test anything and everything else. Any impression we have, any thought we have that we think is from God, any other advice or counsel, any other influence or any other authority that we need to test to say, does this line up with what God says? It also means this, you don't need signs, impressions, visions, dreams, some word from God to come to you to know what his will is in your life. He's already told you what his will is in your life. The word is a light and a lamp to your feet, to your path. This is what you need, his instructions to be happy. And yet a lot of times Christians kind of say, well, I'm going to set that there. God, speak to me. Speak to me. Help me. God says, I already have. Yes, okay, I know, but speak to me. I need something else. And maybe that's for a choice you're trying to make, or maybe it's when you're struggling, God, I really need your help. I, need, I, need, I, I don't hear you. Please speak to me. Okay, I'm going to put that over there. And that would be like me saying, I really need to talk to my mom today and just setting down my phone. God, mom, I really want something. And my mom's like, hello, hello, I'm on the phone. I, I, no, 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 no. But God has said, this is how I speak. This is where I show you my will. This is where I lead you in happiness. This is where I bring comfort to your soul. This is where I direct you. This is where I help equip you for every good work. 
that you're trying to figure out how do I do this or what's the best way to do this? And yet, we often just ignore that, wanting something else. But the Bible claims of itself that it is sufficient. It's sufficient for all those things that it says. It is sufficient. So what are you discerning? What are you, what are you trying to figure out? Where to go? What choices? What suffering or difficulty are you facing where you're needing something from God? The Bible says you don't have to sift through all these different sources and all these different things and listen to all these different people. He gives you his word. The all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving God says he's enough for everything you face and everything you long for and desire. And he enters your life. He helps you. He wants to help you. That's the amazing thing. That God is all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful, and he wants to actually help you. Usually the most all-wise, all-powerful people don't give a rip about you. You can follow them on Twitter. You can read their magazine, but they don't want to help you. But the all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving God says, I actually want to help you. I want to speak to you. I'm here for you. And finally, the Bible, one of its properties is necessity. So it has authority, clarity, sufficiency, and necessity, which really answers this question. Why do I need it? It might be from God. It might be clear. It might be enough. But why do I actually need it? What good will it do me? And there's a few different parts to this. The first is that we need it for salvation. Romans says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? My life verse. <clears throat> not really, but. It says, you want to know him? You want to be saved by him? You want to be brought into relationship with him? You want to believe who he is and what he says, how could you do that without hearing about him? And how could you hear about him without someone bringing you his word about who he is? So it is necessary for salvation. Now, for those of you that are Christians, maybe that's just a reminder. For those of you that are not Christians, if you want to know him, if you want to be brought in, his word is necessary to see who he is. He invites you in. But it's not just necessary for salvation. It's also necessary for life, for just living life with God. Here's how 1 Peter says this. Like newborn infants, some of you have those or they are coming. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. How do babies grow when they're first starting off? They grow by not doing a bunch of squats and dumbbell curls, right? They grow by milk. They grow by having pure milk. They grow by pure milk entering into them. The kind of food that they take in leads to the kind of life that they will have and how they will grow. And certain things you could give them would stunt their growth. If I said, I would love to babysit your baby, you're like, oh, I'm nursing. I, you know, I said, it's okay. I've developed my own formula. I've ground up a bunch of Doritos and added Red Bull, and it'll be great. You would say... Okay, fine, I need a babysitter, right? No you, no, you wouldn't do that. You would say, that's not pure milk. 
That's pure nasty. Like, I don't know what that is. It's not pure milk. And same thing is true with adults, right? The food that we take in leads to how you are going to grow or how you're going to feel. You take in a lot of Taco Bell or things like that, it's going to change you, right? And change. (laughs) I won't keep going with what I want to, but it'll change you. So you want to grow. You grow by the things that you put inside of you. And the Bible says that it is food for us. That's such a great metaphor. Jesus also says this when he says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, which is God's word he's referring to. So it is food. That's such a great metaphor because if you want to grow in life, if you want to grow up in your salvation, I love that phrasing also because what this means is Jesus has saved you. But if you want to grow up into that, if you want to fully experience that, a baby is born. But if they want to grow up into not salvation, but grow up into humanity and experience all that it offers, they need food. The Bible is saying, if you want to grow up into experiencing all that Jesus saved you for and from, if you want to experience all the benefits of salvation, you need food. And that food is his word. Don't you want God's word being the food that grows you? The kind of food you take in changes you. Don't you want God's word being your food? If it's not, here's the thing. You're not neutral. You're taking in some food. And so you will grow into the product of that. Think about it this way. Let me change from food for a second. Voices in our life. We are the product of people's word getting into us oftentimes. So if you came from an abusive home, it's hard to escape the effects of those words getting into you. You are a product of those words coming inside of you. Now, you can fight that and you can counter that. God can bring healing. I'm not saying it's just deterministic in your life, but you're having to undo the words that have gotten inside of you. Positively, we are often the product of the words that have gotten inside of us. If you came from a home where your parents told you they loved you and they encouraged you or you had coaches that affirmed you and encouraged you, you are a product of those words, those voices getting inside of you. We become oftentimes the words that get inside of us for good and for bad, right? Don't you want to be the, become the person that can happen as God's word gets inside of you? That's why it's necessary. That's why one of its properties is necessity for salvation, but for life. Let me show you this. Just, I, I love this from Psalm 19. And here's what it says that God's word, his, his word does in our life. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. You want your life renewed? The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. When God's word gets inside, your heart becomes glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. In addition, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping them, there's an abundant reward. It warns you about things in the direction you don't want to go. Don't you wish at certain times in your life someone was like, don't do that. I have some very specific things that I wish someone would be like, don't do that. Or maybe they did and I ignored them. I don't know. <clears throat> don't you? God's word says it will warn you. It'll give you abundant reward. 
This is who we become as God's word gets inside of us. I know I want that. And I have one other piece on here that I'm going to skip just for time's sake. There's all sorts of ways I could say why God's word is necessary in our life. But the, the bottom line is God's word is needed. This is part of why it's a better foundation than the other things that we can experience. Because the source of all goodness and love and wisdom and joy and power and happiness and all these things actually says, I will come to you and without me, you'll be malnourished. Without me, you'll miss out on so much that could happen. Some other words will be getting inside of you instead of my words. But he actually wants to engage with you and love you and help you. So we all need and want some foundation for our life, all of us. And whether you know it or not, you are living from some foundation, some basis. You're living as a part of some story, some vision of life for joy, for help, for wisdom, for meaning. Where are you basing that foundation? Christians have said that God's word determines our foundation. That in God's word, we have authority, clarity, sufficiency, and necessity. And whatever foundation you choose in your life will determine your life. Whatever foundation you build your life on will determine your life. God gives us the only foundation that we can stand on reliably, confidently, beautifully. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Christians take communion as an act of remembrance of what Jesus has done. If you're a Christian and you didn't grab one of those little cups on the way in, make sure to grab one of those. But here's what we remember when we take communion. We remember that God didn't only give us his word in a book. He did, but he didn't only give us his word in a book. The Bible says that Jesus himself is the word of God. The word of God. Everything that God wants to say to us became flesh. He entered into this this one.